So I'd encourage you to turn to Psalm, Psalm 20. As we jump into our summer series here in the Psalms, we left off with Psalm 19 at the end of last summer, Psalm 20 today. Uh, as you're turning, uh, next week, uh, Pastor John Kirshner from GCF North will be here, and so you will be blessed uh, by him, so I hope you can be here for that. Uh, also, we have these, uh, well, this is a thick one because Psalms, there's 150 of them. Uh, so this is a, a journal. Uh, you've probably been familiar with this. Uh, you can purchase this. This has all the Psalms there and lots of space for taking notes during the sermon and so forth. So these are available. They are in the bookstore, and uh, I'll just alert your attention to them. Psalm 20, if you're able to, please stand as I read. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings with re and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we, we do really need you. In fact, every hour we need you. And in this hour, I really need you. And we as your people need you. We need your word. We need your grace. We need your spirit to soften our hard hearts, to open our ears, to help us to see and to treasure Jesus Christ. So strengthen us, encourage us, equip us for your good and holy purposes, and do this, Lord, for the sake of your great name and ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It was Athanasius, who was a fourth century theologian who was credited for saying that scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. And over the centuries, that line has been tweaked a little bit and massaged, but the essential truth has remained. Yes, the whole Bible speaks to us, but the Psalms, in a very unique way and in a very powerful way, actually speak for us. 
And perhaps this is true in your own life. In many ways, the Psalms give us a voice when we're not quite sure what to say. We're not quite sure what to speak or even what to do. We read the Psalms and it's like we're reading our diary. It's like someone knows our souls, that the prayers that we want to pray are maybe the prayers yet unprayed. So in a very tangible way, the, the Psalms instruct us and tell us what to do when our inner life, that is our emotional life, is jumbled and confusing and messy and complicated. Now for some of you this morning, it may be that you just need to be reminded that you actually have an inner life, an emotional life. In fact, by God's grace, created in the image of God as you are, as we are, we are meant to respond to him, not just with our mind, with our hearts, with our whole being. He's created us for a relationship, a very deep relationship with him. So if Athanasius is right, that the Psalms really do speak for us, well, what is Psalm 20 saying then? What is Psalm 20 speaking for us this morning? We have a big clue here in verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. So the king, that is David, well, he's in trouble. Now, we don't know the specific trial or hardship or trouble that David is facing. We're not told that. But given the reference a few verses later towards the end of this psalm, speaking of chariots and horses, the the likely conclusion is that David is preparing for battle. He is preparing, in fact, for war. That's the trouble that he is in. So this is not the kind of trouble where you say, you know, I hope it doesn't rain on my vacation this next week. Or I hope, I hope my internet doesn't go down for movie night on Thursday night. No, this is the kind of trouble where you say, I hope I don't die. I hope I'm, I'm going to be okay. So David here is dealing with life and death. It's, it's trouble, yes, on that level. Brothers and sisters, trouble can, oftentimes, it can actually be a blessing. It can be a hidden blessing. It's a hard blessing. This kind of trouble or suffering of some kind can be a blessing with a jagged edge. But it can be used by God to reveal our hearts, to, to clarify to to bring focus to our prayers. I know that this is true in my own life. There have been seasons of trouble and trial and even some bit of suffering that I've gone through, and that is exactly what the Lord has been up to. I probably didn't realize it in the moment. Most of us don't. But it's only in hindsight we go back and say, the Lord was actually very gracious to bring that my way because he needed to refine me and sanctify me It it changed the way I pray. Troubles have a way of revealing what we're hoping in, who we actually believe in, and who we're actually trusting. And so in our time of trouble, what does Psalm 20 speak to us? Here's the point, and I want you to get this right up front. In times of trouble, pray and put your hope and your trust in God. That's what Psalm 20 is speaking to us. 
In times of trouble or hardship, some bit of suffering, pray, have other people pray for you, don't stop praying, and put your hope and your trust in the true king. Now maybe this psalm is exactly for you this morning because as you sit here, you're already listing the number of different things that you have going on this week and trouble is right at your front door. So I hope that you will be encouraged this morning and maybe you'll be able to see how David processes the challenges in his life and you'll be able to see how Jesus gives us even greater confidence in him. It may be that you're walking alongside a loved one, a family member, a friend who is in some bit of trouble and you want to know how to help them. Then this psalm, I think, will be instructive for you as well. And if you're not really facing any bit of trouble and if you're thinking, man, like life is kind of good, well, praise God, we're excited for you, but it's going to end. <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble. And so in your day of need and when you do face trouble, you're gonna need truth to draw on. So I want you to pay attention as well. Psalm 20 speaks to us at this, this level, this deep level, and encourages us and exhorts us, brothers and sisters, to trust in the Lord, the King of Kings. So if you have your Bibles again, if they're open, Psalm 20, I wanna make three observations from this Psalm that I, that I pray will give us some encouragement and some hope as we face trouble. Here's the first observation. In trouble, the people of God pray. In trouble, the people of God pray. This is verses one through five. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Just a quick time out here. Do, are we going to have those slides? Or, or I know you're working on it, Abby. You're doing a great job. Will we have that for the next time? Okay. All right, good. All good. Okay, now we're back. You can imagine the scene here. The king is facing a large invading army. He's outnumbered, he's outmatched in every way, but he also knows that he is called to fight. He's called to be up front. And so what does he do? He goes into the temple, he gets on his knees, he calls on the name of the Lord, he offers a burnt offering, and then he leaves. And as he exits the temple, what does David see? Well, he hears the people of God offering up all these prayers for him on his behalf, the, really the blessing of verses one through five. It's the people of God that are praying for the king. Now why would they do that? Well, for several reasons, but the people of Israel were, were tied to their king. I mean, they placed all their future and all their hope in the king. So as the king goes, so goes the nation. They depended on him for everything. So if the king wins the battle, well, the people get the joy. If the king is victorious, then the people, by extension, are 
victorious. So we see here in Psalm 20, brothers and sisters, a shadow of the Messiah. If the king gets the victory, the people are victorious. If Jesus is victorious, then we are victorious. Our hope is actually tied directly to him. We, in fact, depend on Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, for protection from facing the judgment for our sins that we deserve. So here's what's happening. David is in trouble, preparing for battle. The people of God see that. They are praying for him on his behalf, and they're seeking to bless him. And what a really incredible blessing it is. I want you to notice here that really the, the content of the people's prayer for their king, David. You'll notice it begins with the word may. That's repeated five times. Verse one, may the Lord answer you. May the name of God protect you. May he send you. May he remember you. May he grant you. May we shout for joy. That is expectant hope. So in other words, that's a pleading to God that he would come through, that he would do what he promised he would do. That's how we want to pray when we're in trouble. That's how you want to pray when a loved one is in trouble. It's prayer that's rooted in the character of God. It's rooted in the confidence of God, in, in who God actually is. And I would say, church, if you have one person in your life, let's call them a friend, if you have one person in your life that is praying those sorts of prayers that sound maybe a little bit like that for you on your behalf, well, then you're a blessed person. And would we be the kind of people who when we recognize trouble and we were praying for those who are in some bit of trouble or hardship that we would pray these sorts of prayers for them? Here's how the people pray for their king. And there's really five petitions, and I want you to notice these. In his trouble, the people of God pray first that God would hear, verse one, and that God would protect. They pray that God would hear and that God would protect. When trouble or difficulty comes our way, this psalm directs us not to turn inward, but in fact to place our hope in God, a God who actually is aware, a God who is near, a God who hears when we pray. So in trouble, we're not just throwing up a prayer, hoping that it sticks. Not at all. That's the beauty of our God. In trouble, when we pray, we, are, we can be very, very specific. As David, we're calling on the name of the God of Jacob to do what to protect us? In other words, that's the name of God is connected to his character, to his majesty, to his immeasurable power and strength. Second, people of God pray that God would provide. Verse two, there are spiritual resources, that is help from the sanctuary, support from Zion. Those are the spiritual resources related to his power and his divine assistance. This is really the New Testament equivalent of, 
what we read in Hebrews 4.16 when we say that, I'm gonna pray that God would give you grace. I'm gonna pray that, that God would work on your behalf to bless you. So Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. In other words, we're praying that God would provide, that he would, he would bestow upon you his favor and his blessing. Here's the third petition. The people of God pray that, that God would forgive. Verse three, that's the sense there. They're, they're actually praying that David's heart would be in a right relationship with God. People understand we understand it doesn't take much, does it, for us to wander. It doesn't take long at all, in fact. People pray that God would forgive. Fourth petition, that God would fulfill David's desire, verse four. They're really asking God here to help David's plans so that they fit into God's will. It is not the other way around as so often can be the case. Lord, here's my will. Would you bless that? Because I don't really want to change. I want what I want. But this is the, the equivalent of Jesus really praying in Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And finally, the fifth petition, the people of God pray that God would deliver and that God would answer David. They're, they're, they're actually putting their hope in the deliverance that God can do what he said he would do. That God will actually provide and that God will deliver. So what we have here, church, are some very big, bold prayers prayed by the people of God for their king, for David. Now some of you, I know, have personally experienced these sorts of prayers. You've prayed them for other people. You've perhaps prayed them for your, yourself. And perhaps you have been prayed for by other believers. Somebody like this has prayed for you in this way. But you have personal experience of exactly what we read here in your time of trouble. Personal experience that God hears and that God protects. That God provides. That God forgives. That God fulfills. And yes, that God delivers and that God indeed answers. And it may be that today you just need to be reminded of how the Lord has worked with you in the past so that you have strength for today and for tomorrow. Maybe some of you here are in a season of need, of trial of some degree. And so even now you're starting to think about how am I actually living? That's really the first step. The first step is just acknowledging that you are actually in trouble and that, in fact, you can't solve it on your own. I mean, I've said this before. You've heard me say this before. It seems to come up in almost every counseling session. I think I do. At least I think about it. But any bit of trouble or hardship, suffering, it can actually cause us to forget every bit of theology that we've ever learned super quickly, almost instantaneously. 
And so we're, we, we face some trouble, some hardship, and what do we, most of us, immediately think? This hurts, and I gotta figure out how to solve this. I gotta come up with a plan. Maybe if I just analyze it a little bit more, I just need to focus in, everything else needs to go away, I need to figure out how to deal with this. That's not actually what Psalm 20 is speaking to us. Psalm 20 is not a psalm of self-help. Psalm 20 is not about the power of positive thinking when you're in trouble. Walt Disney is the guy who said, if you can dream it, you can do it. I like Mr. Toad's wild ride as much as the next guy. But I can tell you right now, I can dream all I want about outrunning a bear, but if I'm trying to outrun a bear, I'm in deep trouble. It's not gonna happen. And when we face trouble, and, and it can be life or death, or just kind of the normal life stuff that happens to us week in, week out, the power of positive thinking, brothers and sisters, is, is not gonna take you far enough. In times of trouble, you and I need the power of God to bring his grace to bear upon our hearts as we pray. That's what ultimately we need. So can God be trusted right now with whatever trial or circumstance or situation or hardship that you are facing? Can you and will you trust God right in the middle of it? even as you're not quite sure what the outcome may be. Psalm 20 shouts to us, yes, you can trust God. And you need to trust God. You can trust him because he is absolutely, completely trustworthy. You understand that, brothers and sisters? God has never failed anyone. So if at some point in your life you can say to God, you know what, Lord, you have absolutely failed me, then you'll be the first person in the history of the world for whom that is true. So he's got a perfect record of coming to the aid of his people, of working on their behalf. He's completely trustworthy. My first two years in seminary, I lived with an 88-year-old lady named Peg She's a good Irish Catholic lady, grew up in, actually in Ireland, then moved to the North Shore of Boston. She had a really hard life. And we'd have supper together every Tuesday night, we'd have the same thing. She'd fry up a steak, and we'd have broccoli. And that was the only broccoli I ate, and that was the only vegetable I ate in two years. <laughs> and I had to eat it because she made it, and she was like right across the table from me. Her first two husbands died, and one of them in a very tragic circumstances. And she lived alone for, uh, this was going on 40-some years. Just a really, really hard life. And so in the midst of our suppers, Tuesday night, we would talk about life and death and pretty much everything in between. And I remember she would often say, she had a pretty thick Irish brogue, but she'd say, I want you to remember... When trouble comes through the front door, love goes out the window. I always thought, say, like, oh, I'm probably not going to put that on a happy anniversary card. <laughs> I don't see that. But 
Like, I get that. I didn't quite get it then, but being married 25 years later, life experience, there is a practical reality to what Peg was saying, and essentially what she was saying was, look, when trouble comes through the front door, it can really feel like, yeah, kindness and affection and just common grace and some of the things that we all rely on, they can just disappear almost overnight. And it's like, man, I feel very, very alone. Psalm 20 speaks to us and says, when trouble comes, love comes even closer. And that's the beauty of the gospel, brothers and sisters. When trouble comes, love comes so very close in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because he saw us, he saw you in your greatest need. You were dead in your sins, rebelling against him. And in your deep spiritual trouble, what did he do? He rescued you by his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead. God came near in our troubles and did what we could never do. So can God be trusted this morning? Yeah, he can. Without fail. So you can pray to him and plead with him to come through on your behalf. One of the cool things, and I had not noticed this before uh, in Psalm 20. I think I've, I may have preached on this several years ago. Uh, but this is, this is how rich and deep God's word is. You, you think you kind of know what's going on and then suddenly halfway through, this was actually more towards the end of the week, you think, man, I did not see that before. How did I miss that before? This is one of those things. The context again, so many times we see God keeping his promises to us. How? And we see it right here. This is what I hadn't seen before. Through the prayers of the people. And that's what's happening here. So the people are praying on behalf of David, their king. And David is receiving these prayers and David is strengthened. And he's encouraged. And he's fortified. He is prepared, in other words, to face the battle. And that's, I mean, that's what we do in a place like this, in a church like this. When we pray for other people, what what an incredible privilege that is. Because what are we doing? We're preparing each other to face battle. We're preparing each other to face the week ahead. When we pray, we're we're saying, you know what, let me know how that meeting goes with your boss. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Keep me posted. When you're dealing with maybe end-of-life issues with a family member and you're stressed and you're worried and you get that text from somebody in your home group that says, hey, I, I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. I know this is hard. What great encouragement that brings. What a, what a great joy we have to pray for each other because as we pray for each other, burdens are lifted Sorrows are shared, joys are multiplied, grace is received. Here's the second observation. In trouble, the king assures victory. This is verse six. Let me read it. In trouble, the king assures victory. Verse six, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. So King David wants what every king wants in approaching a battle. 
success, victory. And after hearing the prayers of God's people for him, David now, he's met with the Lord, he's heard the blessing of the people, he's confident in the one who has called him, and he's confident in the promises of God and in the character of God. So he knows that the Lord, in fact, will give him victory, and he'll do that how? By the saving might of his, that is God's right hand. Now the right hand of God is, we see that all throughout the Old Testament, it's a symbol in the Old Testament of God's immense power, God's deliverance. The right hand means really, and was the means of deliverance and rescue and redemption for the Old Testament Jews. So as you and I read the Old Testament, and you, it's all over there, brothers and sisters, and you'll read of God's right hand or God's mighty right hand, don't stop reading at that point. Because when you read about God's mighty right hand, keep reading because you know then that God is about to do something that only God can do. So Exodus 15, verse six. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Skip down to verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders, You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Now there is nothing particularly impressive about my right hand and there is nothing particularly impressive about your right hand. But God's right hand is different. His right hand brings salvation and deliverance. And so in the same way that Israel looked to the right hand of God as their symbol of deliverance and redemption, we look to the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as our deliverance, deliverance from our sins. So we we put our faith in him now for the forgiveness of sins. We believe his promises. We have faith in his power. We rest in his ability to deliver us. And when we doubt... I do, and I know you do at times as well. Well, we remind our hearts then that this is what's true, that we can trust in his character, that his promises are true, his power is great, and yes, the battle's already won because our God saves his anointed. And that's the truth that David is finally coming to grips with here, halfway through this psalm. This is what he's preaching to himself. He knows that God has a perfect record of saving his people. He knows that, that, that as he abandons the outcome to him, the Lord will grant him victory. So really, this is David saying in verse six, taking a deep breath, about ready to head to battle. You got this, Lord. You're right here. You are in this with me. You will grant me victory. This is not ill-timed arrogance on the part of David. No, this is faith-filled confidence grounded in God, grounded in the promises of God and in the character of God. I think sometimes a big barrier for us as we pray is that we think God is like us. He's not. So if I pray, if my vision of God is like, well, I think he's like the best, kind of the best version of the best human being I can think of, 
and that's it. So maybe if I, if I convince him of a good argument, maybe he'll answer. That's not who God is. God is wholly different in a very good way. So a big part of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ is that we willingly, joyfully even, put our trust and our confidence in him, we're putting our trust and confidence in his power rather than ourselves and our own abilities. Jesus well understood this. The Apostle Paul understood trouble and affliction in ways that most of us would never really want to. Yet the Apostle Paul's perspective on troubles and affliction and hardship is actually one that we must have today because we live in troubling times. I don't need to remind you of that. There's trouble all around us. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 10. Here's, here's Paul's perspective. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction, that is, the troubles, that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. In trouble, in hardship, brothers and sisters, victory is putting your hope in Christ. That's what that means. Victory is trusting him, is putting your hope in God. Because your troubles and mine have a tendency to do one of two things. They can either lead us to him, close to him, where we humble ourselves before him, or they will keep us from him. In Christ, our king assures us of victory. Here's the third and final observation. In trouble, trust God, not other things or other people. Verses seven through nine, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise up and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Again, keep in mind the context. The psalm is a record of prayers offered on behalf or to the king on behalf of the people. He's going into battle. And so let's just acknowledge in battle, in trouble, in hardship, in suffering, the issue is not whether you or I trust in something. Because we all do. Every one of us trusts in something. Even the atheist is trusting in his belief that he's right, that there is no God. You may not be trusting in Jesus this morning. But you, but you at least have to acknowledge that none of us live trust-free lives this side of eternity. The question is who you're trusting in. What are you trusting in? Are you actually trusting in chariots and horses this morning? Now the challenge for us as we read verse seven is that chariots and horses 
don't really have any sort of emotional or visceral response. They don't generate anything within us. Because you might read that, as I read that, and you think, well, well, who's trusting in a chariot and a horse? That doesn't make any sense at all. Why would we do that? That would actually be silly. But if you put yourself in this psalm, if you're an Israelite and you're about to head into battle, you're preparing for war, nothing is more important to you than chariots and horses. In fact, you are double-checking the guy who double-checked how many chariots and how many horses you have that are at your disposal because chariots and horses were absolutely critical to winning battles. You don't win without them. So if you look around and say, you know what, there were some chariots there yesterday, but they're gone. I don't know where the horses galloped to. You are not prepared for battle. In fact, you will be defeated. So chariots and horses don't really generate any sort of emotional response from us. But I wonder if there is some type of emotional response if you were to instead read this. Some trust in their bank account. Some trust in their money. Some trust in their rules. Some trust in their religion. Some trust in their government. Some trust in themselves and their ability to control their lives. Some trust in friendships and relationships. Some trust in intelligence. Some trust in their education. Some trust, yes, in their retirement portfolio, and yes, some actually do put their trust in the military. Now, none of these things are necessarily bad and evil in and of themselves. They're just not worthy of the kind of trust that Psalm 20 is highlighting for us. And that's the point here of verse 8. If you put your ultimate trust in any of those things, you know what's going to happen. They will fail you, and you will be in deep trouble. Why? Because it's misplaced trust. That's true for us as individuals. That's true for us as a church. If as a church here, as we move into this next season of life and ministry, if we're saying, you know what, we're, we're actually going to trust in our organizational flow chart. We're going to trust in our spreadsheet. We're going to trust in the giftedness of people here. We're going to trust in this building. Well, that's all misplaced trust. Psalm 20 calls you and me to trust in God because he alone is worthy. And so if you're trusting in him, then your trust is in the right person, it's in the right place, it's in the right God, it's in the right king, and you can actually be safe and secure in the midst of whatever trouble comes your way. So it is important here, brothers and sisters, to consider this morning, what are you trusting in? If you're a Christian, God actually calls you to trust in Jesus Christ. And that's not a one-time decision. It starts with perhaps a one-time decision, but that trust in Jesus is an ever-present moment by moment every single day for the rest of your earthly life. So the question that we want to ask this morning is, have you allowed other things, even good things, even gifts from God, the blessings of God, 
to creep into your life in such a way that they are exerting too much influence or control over you. And you might wonder, well, how do I know if that's happening? Well, you know something is controlling you if you start to sin because you fear losing it. If even the threat of losing it causes you to turn inward, to forsake God, to trust yourself or other things or other people, then, then that thing or person is influencing too much control. So this is where we need to get real specific as the people of God. In fact, God invites us to pray very specific prayers, prayers of confession, prayers of repentance. We don't sin generally, we sin specifically. So we need not repent generally. How many of us have done that though? I know I have. Lord, forgive me for all of my sins, every last one of them. And then we just move on. No, we, we need to get it out of fuzzy land. And we can be specific. Prayers like, Lord, I confess that I am so prone to trust in, and you name it. I'm so prone to trust in. Fill me this week. I'm going to believe your promises are true, to be fully confident in your ability to provide. Be as specific as you can. That's the kind of prayer that the Lord would love to answer. He delights to answer those sorts of prayers. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, really glad you're here. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you're here this morning because you are in some bit of trouble. Many of us came to Christ that way. Oftentimes it takes something big to, to wake us out of our slumber of self-reliance and self-dependence. So if that's you today, what are you trusting in today? I mean, if you died today, what are you trusting in for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life? Here in Psalm 20, we actually get a hint of what comes into plain view and plain sight in the pages of the New Testament. God doesn't deliver and rescue by chariots and horses. He saves and rescues and delivers through his own son, Jesus Christ. So believe in him. Turn to him. Trust in all of his promises. So Psalm 20 is written for people like us. It's, it's one of those psalms that as it speaks about a king, ultimately it fixes our eyes on, not on King David, but on the true king, on Jesus Christ. That's the point. So it was written for people like us in our day of trouble so that we would actually look to Jesus, that we would look to, to him who's been completely faithful, who is completely trustworthy, who rescues us and continues to rescue us in our day of need, in our day of trouble, yes, in our day of sufferings. And brothers and sisters, that's what, that's what you and I need. That's what we need to be reminded of. These are the sorts of prayers that we want to be praying for people. But you know what? The people around you, and yes, our culture and world at large, they need to be able to see people like us, normal. We all do. Let's pray.